Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You are having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Brendan Burns, who I've had on the podcast before, returning tea caster, Brendan Burns, and we did it in his car outside the Rhino Room. Uh, We're briefly interrupted by a traffic cop. It was an interesting podcast. I enjoyed having it. The conversation with Brendan, he's always he's always an interesting person, partly because he knows his own mind and he'll he'll run with with a line of conversation in a direction that he's interested in. And sometimes I feel like I have to side tackle him into a, a topic that I'm pursuing, and that's a fun conversation to have. He has a lot of um, a lot of respect for the art of of conversation. I feel. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling. I'm in Adelaide. You can probably hear in my voice. I've been working hard and doing a lot of shows doing a lot of gigs doing a lot of shouting um through microphones and it's been great i wanted to thank everyone who's a tcast listener who's come out to see the show i'd like to thank dean mays who wrote a really nice review he's a tcast listener and a patreon subscriber i'd like to thank all of the new patreon subscribers as well it's been really good to be able to buy tea for my guests with that money and to continue to host the podcast. I really very much appreciate that and I keep trying to put out as much work as I can so that you can all be happy and satisfied and interested and the people who can't afford to contribute can also have good things. <laughs> all right, I'm going to go and drink some honey lemon water and you are going to listen to the rest of this podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening. You're having tea with Alice. What I found really interesting is watching you and um, Mickey D and Eddie Ift doing Fat Cave the other night. Oh, yeah. Because that is a, for listeners who don't know, Fat Cave is a late night show. I think it goes around the festivals, more or less. Uh, But I, I must admit, I think that's the first time the three of us have been on stage together since... It's inception in 2004, so that was quite mm. a special moment. And it was born at a time when you all were... But yeah, you can say it. Just massively high all the time. Yeah. And coke fueled, ecstasy fueled. Yeah, so it was... Ecstasy it was, a... was five pounds a, a pill and very, very pure. It was, yeah. And we were making money, cash over, you know, just... A byword for depravity in a late night show, kind of classic. Absolutely, I think a lot the of late of, night shows. The kind of performances that nobody enjoys, but everybody likes talking about afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I heard from a lot of younger <laughs> comics that, like, because Mickey and I are sober now, and Eddie's of course settled down and got a kid, but. I think one night I gave I gave Mickey a rusty trombone, and then last night I jumped off a ten foot ladder onto El Jaguar, the wrestler comedian character. Mm. Um, so I guess that's my question. What What was it like when we were high? No, what's it like now that you're not high to try and live up to your sense of yourselves that was built when you were high? I guess, and the sense of the dynamic between you that was built in that. Well, we had a rule, because I was at the inception of the Fat Caves, and it was actually like, it was Mickey's first year, and Mickey, and it's tried to be emulated a lot since, and people have tried to catch that lightning in a bottle, but invariably... Most notably, Fuck Club in Sydney. Oh, does Fuck Club try to be Fat Caves? I think that's basically what it was, yes. Okay. Where comedians are interacting with one another, and... Yeah, I always so had they had a rule. people at the back with a microphone talking while the acts were on stage. It was famous for a girl doing a poo on the stage once. Very much, I think, based on the Fat Cave vibe. 
Well, yeah, we had someone trying to do a pull at Fat Cave. That mm. was, uh, that was, uh, I came up with something, we would come up with something different every night, right? And then it came, became a bit sanitized, I think, as both of us kind of got like a bit sober. And then actually this run at the Adelaide Fringe is the closest thing to how we had it when we were kids. Mm. And it's also, I think, with Mickey and I co-hosting, uh, as long as we care about the show and not ourselves, mm. that's what makes the Fat Caves work. Mm. You've seen other people do late night shows and like I said, their ego gets in the way. They want control. They want to dictate what people are doing. Mm. Whereas uh, I always had a rule whenever I was closing on Sunday nights. My rule was if there was a comedian in the room, they're on the show. Mm. And when you've got that much talent in one room fucking around, uh, like I said to Mickey, you know, this is way back in 2003, 2004. I said, when you've got that much talent in the room, the punchline, the go-home moment will always present itself. Mm. You look at Late Live, Late Live tries to do that, but then someone like Pat Monaghan, who's the MC, will try and insert himself in at the end and try and do another 10 minutes mm. to make sure that he's the last thing. Whereas we always had the attitude of, you'll know the moment when it happens. Like when Ava Vidal kicked Alex Lazarev in the nuts <laughs> for heckling an Anglican schoolgirl play earlier that day. Or um, uh, I teabagged Paul Provenza on a dare uh, because some bloke... Uh, th there was another one where um, uh, we had a dare jar and everyone in the room was allowed to write a dare and then you had to do the dare. And then someone pulled out, do a shit. And Jim Jeffries was just starting out at that point. We got Jim up on stage and we said, do a shit. And he goes, I would have recorded, I don't have one. And then we said, does anyone in this room have a shit in them? And the funny thing was that everyone in the room was either pulling a face, a car crash face of like, I'm not sure I want to see this, but I can't look away. Or, do I have a poo in me? But it was the same face. <laughs> and so we kind of pointed out that that was the same face. And that, would, that ended up being the end. That ended up being the moment. Um, and I think once you, uh, once you just let your ego get out of the way and not be obsessed with trying to get your stuff in, yeah. You truly are cooperating. Well, it's a sort of and a very improv vibe. The, the worst thing you can possibly do is go into a scene with a joke that, is that you true? want to make. Yeah. Right. Because then you're not listening to what people are saying to you. You're not responding in the moment. You're just looking for the... It's exactly the same as when you're having a conversation with someone. They're just waiting to insert the hilarious... Ah, yes. So, yes, like, <laughs> at, at Fat Games, Mickey and I will be like, well, the actors on stage will be listening into them. And then... If there's something in one of their sets that we can somehow illustrate physically, yeah, 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 yeah. then we'll do that. I like that. Um, and we'll go like, oh, I've got an idea. Or have you got anything? I haven't got anything. Um, and yeah, that's really. And the, I mean, back in 2003, 2004, 2005. I think one night, I remember a particular highlight was uh, well, they shaved me one night. I remember that was when I was really like on my way to rock bottom. But also, I can do a very, very, very convincing Stephen Hawking impression physically. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're we... the new Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> I was the old Eddie Redmayne, actually. This was about ten years ago. And uh, we got uh, Liz Carr as a disabled comedian, and mm. uh, um, she has one of those vroom, 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 wheelchairs. But turns out she couldn't walk, and she got up and walked off. And I went, "You car park, fucking, you park a space stealing cunt." Right, and then I grabbed her chair and then I did the impression. And then every comedian in the room was allowed to go around the backstage where the backstage mic was and do a Stephen Hawking voice. 
and basically that had they get to say whatever they wanted. As you. And pretend that it was you. It saying. was Stephen Hawking doing and uh, just some vile shit that no one would ever say on stage. But no one could ever get offended or upset because they were looking at well, me it crumpled up. I find, I, yeah. See, I think that's interesting in terms of the, where offence shifts, because in the same way as it's not okay to do blackface now, I think in ten years, people like um, there's a few comedians I won't name names who do on stage a sort of a really Aspie character. What's an Aspie? Like Asperger's sort of right. slightly, slightly okay. mentally. Uh, neuroatypical characters. They'll okay. play, you know, variously mentally different people. Really? Uh, and that's the joke, basically, is that they're dumb and weird because they have a mental disorder of some kind. And that's a lot of characters now are doing that. And I think in 10 years that will be seen as, as offensive as blackface. What? The, uh, no. No. Here's what happens. What? Uh, it's cyclical. Mm. Is we're just at the tipping point now as well. Um, is you have the outrage culture, mm. everyone goes after comedy, and then slowly but surely, everyone realizes, oh, it's the wrong target. Mm. Actually, and then comedy becomes edgier and edgier for about another eight years. Mm. Uh, that's just the way it goes. I've lived through the cycle. I've lived through several cycles of this. But is it, I mean, it can't be a direct cycle. It can't come back to point A. So is it a cycle going up? in level of sensitivity or a cycle going down in level of sensitivity? Okay, what happens is that it goes up in sensitivity and then everyone goes, oh, fuck off, mm. when someone gets upset over, like, the Rebel Wilson thing. Yeah. That trans joke. Yeah. Well, all everyone just went, fuck off. And then even, and it's usually, it's people that want control. It's people that want to control the world. And the thing is, they're mentally disturbed people. Yeah. They are mentally ill. They have fucking codependence issues through the roof. And so they want the world to run the way that they think it should be run. Yeah. And even the people that are supposed to be offended by the joke, I'll be a trans, black, whatever, mm. the, the majority of that group goes, no, I thought that joke was funny. You need to shut the fuck up and stop thinking you represent all of us. Yeah. Um, and that's just how that runs, you know. Happened in the 80s. And, uh, and Mel Brooks was just like, Pfft. I think Mel Brooks put it then. He just went, it's, it's the first time I heard someone pointing out that it's cyclical. And he was like, fuck you. I did a fucking show about a musical about Hitler. Mm. You know what I mean? I did a movie about a musical about Hitler. And Jews loved it. So shut the fuck up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he just, you know, he just says political correctness fucks up comedy every time. Because it puts the... You start putting, um, you know, we all have our parameters. We all have like, Ugh, right? We all have something like, oh, I wouldn't do that. But it's it's the point in time, the tipping point usually starts to be when comics start turning into cops and they start policing other comics. And then it's like, all right, but did you watch Comedy Central Roast? I'm like, yeah, did you laugh? It's like, yeah, I laughed like a fucking drain. And nothing's off limits on that thing. Yeah, I think one of the weird things now about that whole cycle, if it is a cycle, is that it's diluted maybe by the fact that people can watch really offensive shit online yep. in the privacy of their own homes and laugh at it. So Absolutely. Have... And that's why whenever a comedian like is coming in cold, yeah. the crowd has a thinner skin around them. Yeah. Look at like Louis C.K. when he came to England the first time round. Yeah. They hadn't seen 
him being accepted in front of an audience yet. Yeah. And they didn't know how to react to him. Then they watch him killing online now that he's the fucking second coming. Yeah. And it's like, well, he was like that before. You just couldn't make the decision for yourself. Yeah, I find that really interesting in terms of, like, there are these boy comics, I think, of them as the ones who are just saying offensive things for the sake of being offensive, not to make any interesting point, but they're just, you know... I'm not going to defend bad comedy. No, it's a, some of it's bad comedy, some of it's good comedy, a lot of it's really f- dumb comedy. But yeah. they get these people who can watch them at home where they don't have to feel guilty. Uh, and so they're getting out... But we're always I mean, more I, offended I that... when somebody who we think shouldn't be doing it is doing it. Like Yes, absolutely. That's true. Nobody's... And also it's a bit harder to take if you think, like... If you feel like there's a guy doing domestic violence jokes and you think, like, yeah, he probably slaps around his missus, <laughs> that would be harder to take. Yeah. I think that's why Jimmy Carr, Jimmy Carr is very clever in that he makes himself so prim, so proper, speaks with a posh English accent even though he's Irish. Yeah. Um, and he always, yeah, he's very looks, clean-faced and he always looks slightly surprised by what's coming out of his own mouth. Even has the eye, the mascara. Yeah. So that he looks like a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very, very conscious decision. He's a smart business. Well, man. actually, everything he does is a very conscious decision. He's smarter than the business. Yeah. I've seen him talk business with the industry. Yeah. And he's better at it than they are. Interesting. Um, well, he was the former head of marketing for Shell. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came in, like, he was the richest open spot ever. Dear God. He, that's why he made everyone lift their games. They, it, 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 I mean, to of come Of course full... he's not worried about offending people. He's ruined lives. <laughs> <laughs> he is, like, going, really? You're going to question the morality of my jokes? He doesn't give a fuck, though. But also... In oh, yeah, real... my company funded massacres. What are you going to do about them? But then I kind of uh, have a lot of time for him as well because... Uh, I'm not going to delve into his private life, but let's just say, as a man, he steps up. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. As a man, he steps up with... Uh, Look, if he left Shell to go to comedy, I applaud him. I went I went from uh, law to comedy. One of my clients was a large oil company. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's an admirable move. Yes, I think, but also he came into comedy, like I said, so you look at the fat caves, we were all drug fucked, fucking nightmares, making cash hand over fist. I think that was even Jimmy's first year, maybe second year. Mm. He came in and went, right, I've got a five year plan. Uh-huh. And he sat down and he said, who do I speak to? And he got a, you know, a membership at Groucho, he sat down with television, said, what are you looking for? Right, okay, I'll get that format back, uh, back to you in a week. Um, his first Edinburgh show, I think, or second Edinburgh show, was Jimmy Carr's idea for a television show. Huh. That's what it was called. Yeah. Um, and he just, you know, that's why as well, like, what fucking... What guy with jokes that gross and that edgy and that in your face, what guy that offensive has his profile? Yeah. And it's because... He, he runs the business better than they do. They, you know, you, Jimmy Carr walks into it. You know, if, if you were an agent, <clears throat> uh, you'd want one Jimmy Carr over a thousand clients. Yeah. Just because it's like, I don't have to hold this guy's hand at all. As a matter of fact, he rings me up, asks me what to do. Yeah. Yeah, it tells you what to do. I feel like I should be a bit more like that. I've learned of- a lot. Just like you, I'll tell you what, five minutes, five minutes coffee with Jimmy Carr. 
is better than a thousand meetings with agents. Well, I'll be in, I'll be in the UK in May, so I might call He's him up. very accommodating as well. I might do that. He, if you asked him, if you could sit down and ask him questions about business side of things and how to run things. Mm. I mean, he's very, very clear cut how he views things. He's very cut and dry. He looks at anything as, he doesn't, I mean, uh, uh, almost mercenary, unscrupulous, mm. but refreshingly unscrupulous. Like there's no pretension in there. Mm. And, um, but he looks at like, say, anything that I don't do because I would be miserable. Mm. Um, I know that I'm pretentious. You know, I know I've walked away from a lot of money in the past because I just, that's just the way I'm wired. Yeah. I have to be happy at what I'm doing. I don't care what the money is. Yeah. And um, he would look at that as, uh, his words, not mine as well, uh, as just a, another excuse not to be successful. Yeah. And I'm like, well, well it's, arguably if, if what you want is to be successful more than anything else. Well, if that's what you my, want is my, not to be successful. My definition you of successful, successful is very, very doing different. Doing what you do. Yes. Which is a different... My definition of successful is making a living, possibly having 10,000 true fans, which is enough to buy a second house, uh, to basically be able to fill 200 seaters around the world, but never to have the profile that I ever have to apologize for a joke. Yeah. Never, I never want to be in a position where I'm worried about what I'm going to lose. Yeah. But even then, he kind of, uh, you know, look at, look at Jimmy. He, he, he has a catchphrase almost uh, of like, never explain, ne never complain, never explain. Never complain, never explain. See, that's not bad. I've once... So he's front page news all the time and, he, and, and it hasn't hurt him a bit. See, I would, I would like to be like that and I'd like to think that I'm like that. I have once had, had that sort of thing come up very marginally and I don't think I behaved properly. I don't think I responded well. It was a difficult time in my life, but it was the post of a savage. Uh, where it was a picture of me drinking tea with two blue stripes on each cheek and the word savage and somebody said it was an appalling poster because it was culturally appropriative which I didn't agree with What? Um, and I said what culturally appropriative of whom and somebody else chipped in with well of the non-white other which I thought was Whoa, ridiculous Whoa! You ridiculous. fucking racist Yeah, I, I thought that was the a ridiculous The non-white other that is such a presumed <laughs> sense of superiority. Yeah. It's like when we, I had a couple of guys on the podcast the other day, and the thing is it was a very Melbourne kind of idea. It's, it's a couple of guys, a couple of Melbourne comedians that haven't travelled that much. Yeah. Right? Uh, first of all, other ethnicities don't give a fuck about us. Yeah. We are not anywhere near as relevant as we think we are. But I think it was Lawrence Mooney actually said, he goes, yes, but, you know, come on, the whites, we are... We are kind of responsible for most of the world's ills. And I was like, that's why other ethnicities hate us. Yeah. What? You but think you're in charge that much? Do you remember? You think you're still the master race that you're fucking dictating this planet? And what's more, we're the minority. There's loads more of other people than us. And they don't give a fuck. They're not sitting there thinking like, oh, the only, the only thing they think about white people is <laughs> white people think they're relevant. Oh, remember set list where they said what did the Chinese used to say that was yeah. the prompt that I got at the end yes. of my set list everyone had that yeah uh, yeah or it was sort of the tense changed it what did the Chinese say what did they used to say what will they say I think that was the shift yeah just repeated joke uh, and I 
for some reason got onto my granny in the Holocaust and she used to work at Paddy's Markets in Sydney which was full of Chinese people and she was always friends with them and racist at the same time in that hilarious sort of yes. 60s, 70s way uh, where it didn't seem to bother either of them that she'd make slanty eyes at them. Uh, uh, you never met anyone more racist than an old Chinese lady. They yeah. don't give a fuck. And then, the, and it's kind of fun. The idea, you know, the Holocaust. Talking about the Holocaust, the Mongols killed, I think it was sixty million people yes. by hand. And so that was the punchline I, of my joke was just sixty million people by hand. And you say in America, if you say in a white room, you go, Don't "Stop calling the Jewish Holocaust the Holocaust. It was a Holocaust. Yeah, there are some going on right now, mm. and you kind of water down the others, and then." Aisha Tyler has a good point on similar, on similar lines of like the, zom the zombie fantasy, you know, the post-apocalyptic fantasy, how we love the post-apocalyptic fantasy. If you're in Haiti, it's happened. <laughs> the world has already ended. You're living in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> Stop playing computer games like that. It goes, what are you going to do? Yeah, what would oh. you do? You ready? Yeah, what's your zombie plan? Why don't you just go to Ghana? Go to Mogadishu. Well, I think the moment we start having wars over water. Yeah. Which that, that will happen. Yeah. That will happen probably in our lifetime. There will be wars over water. Yeah, it's funny. I used to think I'd be pretty good in a post-apocalyptic scenario, but I'm starting to get towards the point where I'm not a good breeder anymore. So <laughs> why, why are you not a good breeder anymore? Well, I'm nearly 30, so... Okay, is that... Well, if you're, like, in your mid-twenties, start a cult, be a breeder, right? <laughs> As a young lady, that's your, that's your, those are your options. Yeah, but I don't think... Um, I don't think that age gap is the same anymore. No. There's going to be a... I mean, it's weird as well because there's going to be a shit ton of old people. Oh, yeah, hugely. Um, if you've got investment money, put it into aged care services. Ideally, luxury aged care services, the kind of things that let people uh, live in a home that gets increasing levels of access to care, those kind of communities are going to be huge. Where it's like you live in a normal house, everyone's around, and then... Oh, for that matter, you, water. Yeah, yeah buy stocks in water now but it's kind of like I don't know if I can bring myself to do that <laughs> do it do it because I don't have investment money but my dad when we were in mum's womb they had a sense that we were going to be twins runs in mum's family and so on and so forth and you could take out twin insurance wow you could you can take it out still it's something that you can do uh, health, it was part of your health insurance. Bet, bet, bet against the chance that you're going to have twins, basically. Yeah. Uh, and you get a payout or some enormous amount of money, or like some, I don't know, significant amount of money for them at the time at any rate. And Dad thought, no, I can't make this bet because I know that I'm going to have twins at that time. Right. Before they'd done the scan. Yeah. But he just had the sense, right? Right. In his head, and he was like, I know we're going to have twins, it's going to happen. You know what I really sensed when I impregnated my son's mum? Yeah, interesting. My dad says he knew it when... Both of us went, we just made a baby. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. My and dad then Janie Godley. You know Janie Godley, Scottish comedian? Yeah. She saw us that day across the street and went, you're pregnant. Huh? <laughs> it's a boy. See ya. And then she ran off. She's a witch. I know. It's, well, it's, it's uh, her husband and her uh, daughter do insist, like, Janie does make uh, crazy fucking premonitions sometimes. And to be honest, she's never... She's never been wrong. Huh. 
Uh, she's made two premonitions in my life, like cross the street, told me something, and then fucked off. Yeah, wow. And they're both... No, three! Yeah. Let's hope she never... Oh, you. I gotta go! Hell, that is the nicest parking attendant. Uh, she just gestured to you to move on. Should we do a lap? Yeah, let's do a lap. Um, and wind this up. Yeah, my dad says that he... When he and mum had us, or when the moment happened, they both were like, oh, that's happened. And then another one happened, and they thought, well, they must have been wrong. It must have been wrong because there was two rather than one. Right. And then they thought, well, and then later on they thought, well, it must be twins. And then, yes, this, but... then this bet came up and Dad said, no, I can't take out this insurance because I know that it's twins. Yeah, and that's the and thing. And that's what I'm saying. Water, take out, buy water. water. It's like, that is kind of almost, yeah, making a profit off the end of the world. Yeah, well, is it? Uh, I mean... Don't you remember years ago, or actually this when is it before happens, your time, when they first started bottling water? I don't think you'll be feeling guilty that you have enough money to buy water when there's no water just because you bet there would be no water. <laughs> That's true. Well, actually, uh, the other thing to invest in is, of course, sanitising companies. Yeah. My dad yeah. came up with a, a wave energy silo that also converts uh, seawater into pure drinking water. Yep. The, I uh, put money on that. Uh, yeah, that's going to be quite big. Uh, uh, that was definitely, uh, he's a very clever cookie, but well, yeah, when anything your, When your water, water money becomes blood money, give half of it to charity or some shit. Yeah, that's true. People could end up like, that's true. I wouldn't like, <laughs> but I actually, the thing is, I remember when they first started bottling water Yeah. and everyone went, that's fucking stupid. Everyone was... Like a Johnny Carson punchline. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like bottled water, Evian bottled water was. Why first would you of all, buy something you can get free out of a tap? Out of a tap. It's not better than the tap water. And somehow, somewhere along the way, they well, managed Evian's to convince disgusting. us all. Disgusting. Well, they managed to convince us all that it's better than tap water. And it's no different. You could. Well, Adelaide tap water. It's pretty bad, is it? It's pretty bad. I see Australia has a lot of fluoride in the tap water, doesn't it? Well, um, as Adelaide tap water is very hard water. Is so it? soap doesn't froth up, you get spots. Which makes me super fucking suspicious. Why would they do that? <laughs> Other than, you know, want to try and flog people, bottled water. But like, Evian was like almost like a cartoon. Of like a yuppie, like you were such a fucking loathsome yuppie. Like the early mobile phones, mm. right? Evian and a mobile phone was just... that No one even says yuppie anymore. Hmm. Have you noticed that? Yes. I've never heard yuppie cunt anywhere. And uh, uh, you hear bogan. Bogan, yes. Everywhere, which is definitely the cultural shift. You hear hipster. You hear bogan and hipster, but you never hear look at that yuppie cunt. Because uh, the yuppies are in charge now. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is interesting that... Well, maybe it's just I hung out with different people. No, yuppies, yuppies an outdated term. It doesn't... doesn't. But, you know, uh, but I guess, like, you know, my, uh, my schoolmates growing up, rough as guts. Mm. And... I mean, yuppie... Yuppie was the fucking slur, not bogan. Conspicuous consumption is unfashionable now, except among people who've come from the bottom. Explain that. So now, rich people, yep. 
hide their purchases. It used to be in the 90s you'd buy expensive things and show them off if you were rich. That was your status symbol. Now it's very quiet. People buy things. They, you, might, you won't notice that they're wealthy until you touch their clothes and they're way softer than normal people's clothes. <laughs> they, they smell amazing. And they're just very subtle things like that. They won't go on these flashy buying sprees. Unless, I don't know, but new money is very gauche. Yeah, but that's what I mean. If it's you like, come from below... that joke about Posh Spice. That's what I mean. New uh, money. Posh Bites. Simon Nevins is like this, uh, like this uh, posh English comic. And he goes, Posh Bites, have you heard her talk? <laughs> and he goes, I've done posher shits than that. And so has my dog. <laughs> they called her Posh Spice because apparently her father used to drop her off at school in a bright gold Rolls Royce. Flashy, certainly. Expensive, by all means. But posh, only in the same way that the matching armband and bracelet would have been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That that wealth is no longer what you're what you're saying there. If you are a conspicuous consumer, is that you are you were poor. You don't, yeah. You don't know how to be rich. That's true. That's like the Ed Hardy lot. Yeah. yeah Ed, exactly. Ed Hardy shirts is for. Uh, very, yeah. And, it's very and, funny that he said, why are you controversial? And then I'm talking about investments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm edgy. I'm edgy. I've got a portfolio. <laughs> well, these things, these oh, things. very funny. I had uh, Greg Fleet on the show the other day. Oh, what a man. And he started drinking again. Uh-huh. And he was drinking gin and tonics during the day. Oh, and I, uh, I had Steph Tisdall, who was... Uh, who is uh, uh, an indigenous comedian who has moved to Edinburgh because, wow. let's face it, being indigenous in Australia versus being brown in Edinburgh is a huge fucking upgrade. Yes. Huge. Huge. Uh, and I even asked her that. Well, I mean, and she was it, it, like, Scotland. It was funny, like, Greg and Lawrence both balked at me asking that. And I'm going, of course I'd fucking ask that. How, how old is the mortality rate in Scotland these days? It's like 38, isn't it? What? Some ridiculous thing. Is it thing. because of the heart disease? Yeah. They deep fry everything. <coughs> it's that ridiculous. Must be said. It must be said. One interesting example to close up. Um, oh, that's also why I might be deemed controversial, is I'm not averse to making a living. You ever see those guys that fucking complain about the market and capitalism, and then at the end of all of that, they ask you to denote, donate to their podcast? Yeah. Uh -huh. I'm like, I'm not against someone making a living, but don't be giving me that man argument um, when your man argument is capitalism. Yeah. Uh, although, having said that, I mean, it is very, very gross. Uh, in America, the I think what makes America p appealing to people is the fact that the sheer size of the market, right, is like you can be the number one comedian in England and uh, you know you're a multi-millionaire yeah. if you're the number one of the number if you're one of the top 20 yeah. comics in America you're a corporation yeah um, and even like guys at my level like if you were to I was equate, talking to Eddie Ift about his corporation the other day actually were you? Yeah. His corporation, the Eddie Ift Corporation. Yeah, he's got a corporation just basically to protect himself against uh, litigation um, so that they can't, you know, you protect your assets. It's a pretty... 
Is that right? Smart, yeah, it's a smart move. I mean, if you've got as much money as he did, he has, and America litigious as it is. Like, uh, J.K. Rowling tells the story of when she toured America on book tours and people would come up in the line, lines for hours, these fans, these wonderful people who loved her so much, all dressed up as Harry Potter, they'd hand her these envelopes and like she had these two big burly guards who'd just grab the envelope before she could touch it and put it in a pile and then at the end of the day they'd seal up the pile and date stamp it. And sure enough, when the next book came out, just these letters. I gave you this script. This idea was my idea. Oh, you, yeah. And, and they had it stamped so that it hadn't been opened. The seal on it was there, the name of the person, all of that, so that they could protect themselves against this litigation. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, uh, in summation, <laughs> why do I call... You know what? Was it you that said the other day? No, it was Greg Fleet that told me, and it was in the middle I'm of the big short. I'm glad that I'm interchangeable with you. Yeah, me. I saw fucking. <laughs> it was the big short. It's in the big short, and it's true. And it says uh, the truth is like poetry, and most people fucking hate poetry. <laughs> and I think it was uh, Mark Twain or something. Yeah, uh, that's beautiful. And I like uh, you know, Richard Pryor once said it years ago as well. It's the thing is, if you if you just get up there and you're authentic and you tell the truth, people will laugh, but you're going to piss some people off. That's 100% true. Um, and I just always am forever striving to have as little difference between me on stage and off. Mm. Except for the fact that when I'm off, I don't need to be the centre of attention. <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I, I needed to separate that thing for sure. That was, I think, the only, because, uh, I'm not sure if I said this on the last podcast, I did with you as well, is the most honest moment like you'll ever have is the five seconds before you open your mouth, or the first five seconds you ever speak on stage, and then when that doesn't work, you build a mask. Yeah, yeah, you did course, talk about this, yeah, it's and true. Over the, and over the course of ten years, you develop that mask. And you perfect that mask, and then you spend the rest of your career trying to peel it off. Yeah. Um, and that's just how I feel. And I think if you are a complete... There's almost no space now for a complete human. Hmm. Of Everyone wants to see a perfect human. And everyone, when they're anonymous online, is either... Uh, the 100% ugliest version of us, or when they use their real name, they're the 100% best version of them. Yeah. Uh, my wife calls it personal propaganda. Huh. You look at people's Facebook updates sometimes, and you're like, "Hang on, you're a cunt." Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is what? A very carefully curated version of yourself that is impossible to be. Yeah. Which is why I like podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Because. You, there's no one tuning in, there's no one tuning out, there's no clips, there's no tweets, there's no pull quotes. It's just the conversation goes where it goes, people listen from the beginning, ideally to the end. Oh, no, I think some podcasts can call controversy around the world and have stuff taken out of context. Look at Obama on Mark Maron. Oh, yeah, but that was a different situation. The problem was not the podcast there or anyone who actually listened it to the Fox podcast. It was Fox News, yeah. It was the news and the, the, the pull quotes and the tweets and so on. That was that. truly interesting to me as well. Is I had Ola, the comedian, an Nigerian, uh, English-Nigerian comedian on the podcast, and I was trying to work out a bit for ages, which was that I, uh, I've always argued that not saying, not saying nigger is a sneaky white trick. Yeah. 
we get to act like we've done something. Mm. And the people that never use that word and get outraged and offended by that word will never check their own stuff. Yeah. Um, and the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> black people don't trust it. Black people can read people really well, and they don't. I they saw... don't buy into that shit. And like Ola said, not only that, but you upgrade all the other words. I Half saw us feel a like... really interesting example of of racism by a black guy the other day at the Late Show at the Rhino Room. Not high grade, bad, cross the bright line racism, but that kind of didn't check racism. He went on stage and he did a joke that was clearly about black American culture. And he'd brought it in and he just swapped in Australian Aboriginal culture. As he'd just been like, Aborigines be like this. No, he'd never. Oh, which guy? Um, the guy with the little soul patch at the bottom of his chin. Uh, and it was just like, he just did a sort of a, a, a weed smoking, chill kind of. Uh, character as this Aboriginal uh, character, and it was just a joke that he'd swapped because he just assumed that the relationship was the same. Was the same yes. between between. Okay, I don't think that's racist. I think that's cultural ignorance. Yeah, but that's I mean, I mean, in when I say I mean low grade racist, he just yeah, I, I substituted. I, that's what I think. I think people actually shouldn't confuse racism with cultural ignorance because huh. then people are afraid to ask questions. Yeah. And, uh, he just was so confused that he didn't get the laugh. And sometimes you see like a twenty-something kid go, "That's racist." Of, of like, I'll tell a story about being in a particular culture. Yeah, it's like that's racist. It's like, no, you no, just haven't. True. You just haven't travelled. Happened. Right, that actually happened, and I was in. You know, it, it, uh, and not only that, this isn't the ultimate culture. The one that you're in. Like wherever it might be, like you know, listen, son, you're going to school in fucking suburbs in Adelaide. You're not the shit. <laughs> you know what I mean. You're not. You're not the pinnacle of humanity. Uh, so quit looking at other places and other cultures as less than, and uh, that the, the, the can't be held to the same standard that you hold your own. Mm. Right. And uh, because that's cultural ignorance that breed. That's the level of. That's cultural ignorance that does breed racism. Mm. Um, and uh, where was I going with that? I, well, just my, my anecdote with the... Oh, the guy, yeah. I think so, it was completely unculpable. He'd just flown in that day and he had no... Yeah, no point no of reference. point of reference. Um, but it was just that moment of... Yeah, dude, nah, we have a different relationship with our brown Yeah, people. very, very different. But I think everyone works it out here very quickly as well. Oh, yeah, you could see him on stage just being like, oh, shit, wrong call, man. Yeah. And that's a good thing about comedy. Keeps you honest. It's really weird as well, is that like black Americans are really popular in Australia. Oh yeah, all the ones we meet are rich. <laughs> what do you mean? We don't have the. I mean, we we know the stereotypes that you get from American culture. That you know. There's, oh what? Well, in order to afford a flight out to Australia? No, no. It's also that like first of all, the worst country in the world to be African American in is America. Huh. They're loved. They're beloved everywhere else in the world. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like the, the women dig them. They're like fucking rock stars. With some places you go to, um, you go to Japan. I you ever walk down the streets? Imagine the worst in Japan place with to a black African American guy. American would be Africa. Um, no, because you're like a fucking rock star there too. Amazing. You can walk into the townships with like a, a Chicago's Cubs. I've been, I've been to the townships with a black American dude with a Chicago Cubs cat hat and everyone looks at you like holy shit look at that fucking and, and they equate you with Chris Rock mm -hmm. or someone like that they're like fuck 
there's a plane, yeah, the wave and shit. <laughs> it's really very weird. Um, but then again, that's only, I'm only talking like townships in South Africa. I can't say Africa full stop. As a matter of fact, neither of us could say Africa full stop because it's 52 countries. Yep. And it's a bit like going Europe twice. <laughs> I'll uh, close up on that. Where can people find you online? <clears throat> uh, I'm at the Brendan Burns Show. Dot com and they can follow me on Brendan Burns on Twitter, B-R-E-N-D-O-N-B-U-R-N-S. Alright, do it. Do you have a Patreon or something? Or they just buy your shit online? Oh, oh it's at thebrendanburnshow.com. And there's okay. also a, a podcast called Dumb White Guy. Awesome. Look it up. Listen to it. It's with me. Yeah, it's me talking to different ethnicities and uh, me doing shows to different ethnicities, sexualities and genders, and talking to comedians of different sexuality, ethnicity and gender. Awesome. Sounds good. 